Well, it's good to be back here among you after being gone for a, f a few weeks. Yeah. Um, but you, you were not um, idle as a church. A lot happened while I was gone. Um, you called a new pastor, Chad Cowan. Um, what a blessing that is going to be for you. And uh, so it was good I left so you could do so much good work <laughs> while I was gone. But it's been a privilege to not only serve you but also to be with you uh, until Chad comes. And we don't know exactly when that is, but it'll be hopefully pretty soon. I'm, uh, I've been traveling a lot, as you know. Took some of you with me to uh, Israel and Jordan to the Holy Lands. And then uh, after you came back, I went on to Spain and Morocco. So I've covered a lot of the world, a few continents I've been in, but uh, it's been a privilege to, um, to be able to travel like this and to see this world. I, it's one of the ways that God has uh, given me a gift of seeing other cultures, other religions. I've been in some of the biggest cathedrals and the most beautiful in the world. Uh, I couldn't believe what I saw in Spain. It was unbelievable. But um, this place is the best right now to be. It's, it's beautiful. Doesn't quite match Gaudi's Cathedral in Barcelona, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's close, let's say. Not really. It's not even close. But uh, <laughs> if you've seen that place, it's, the, the brilliance of architects is just amazing. What, the human brilliance just boggles your mind, what people can do. But off to the Word of God. The, the two words that are prominent there on the screen are the words one another. Actually, in Greek, that's only one word in the New Testament, and it appears about 100 times. It's usually um, uh, given in the form of a command. Do this to one another or for one another. Sometimes it says, don't do this to one another or for one another. And over this summer months, we've been going through the various one another's in the New Testament. We began with spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's our job. One of our jobs as human beings on this planet, we don't want to waste our lives. Our lives are supposed to be lived to help others, to spur them on to love and to good deeds. That's where we started. And then offer hospitality to one another. The Bible says in that incredible verse in Hebrews that don't neglect showing hospitality to strangers because some of you have entertained angels and you don't even know it. It's a pretty big privilege. So we're to, we're to exercise hospitality. And the word hospitality is actually a Greek word which means you love strangers. So we are to call to love strangers. And then forgive one another. As you know, we all make mistakes. We sin. We do things that are wrong, all of us. And we need to forgive one another. It's one of the most important things we can do. And of course, the central one, just as it says here, love one another. That's obviously one of our most important commands that the Bible has given to us. And then, last week, um, Mike Fleischman dealt with one that was accept one another. He dealt with the reality of the fact that there are many things in the Bible that the Bible says are right and wrong. But there are many, many, many more that we think are right or wrong. Some people think they're right and some people think they're wrong. There are many things about which we disagree. We need to learn to accept one another on these amoral matters where it's not clear what's right and wrong. That was last week. And uh, these are just some of the one another's. Now, this morning, I'd like you to take out your wallet. No, we're not going to take another offering. 
But if you have a $1 bill in your, um, uh, in your billfold or in your purse or something, take out a $1 bill because this is our sermon today. It's on the $1 bill. Um, now, if you don't have one, I've got one here for you. That's what it looks like. Now, I'm, I'm sure that every one of us have seen hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of these through our lives. But I would suspect that very, very few of you have turned to the back side of this and looked carefully at it. Now, if you do, you will find that there are four mottos written on the back of a dollar bill, one in English and three in Latin. Let me point them out for you. The first one is quite obvious. You know this one very well, in God we trust. This is actually a rather new motto of the United States. It dates back to 1956, when it was adopted by our Congress as the, uh, on the great, uh, this is our motto as a country, in God we trust. That one you're probably quite familiar with. Now, if you look at the left side of the bill, you're going to see that it has that pyramid with the eye on the top of it, and it has some words above you, and it says, Annuit Septus, and below it, it has, um, novus ordo seclorum. Those are the ones it says beneath it. Now, annuit septus. You might wonder, what in the world does that mean? Well, it is simply a, um, it's a Latin phrase derived from Virgil, which means he favors our undertakings. And he, of course, by, this goes back to the 1700s in, on our, uh, uh, in our government, the he is, of course, considered to be God. God favors our undertakings. And then novus order seclorum, you see on the bottom portion of it, that one means a new order of the ages. It was believed that when this nation was founded, we were entering into a new era, an era of freedom and democracy. And so that is another um, motto that's put onto our $1 bill. Now, if you go to the right side, this one's very difficult to see. It's very small, but it's, in the, it's right above the eagle's head, and it looks more like this, e pluribus unum. And that one you're probably quite familiar with. The e pluribus unum simply means out of one, out of many, one. And that's, uh, we are people that come from all over this world. We're many, we're different, but we have one nation. We make up one nation. Now, you might wonder, what am I doing holding up dollar bills and using these, and I'm supposed to be talking about the Bible, and the reason is this, because these four mottos are actually directly parallel to the four main points of my sermon today, all of which are derived from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me, and the one another that we're going to deal with today is we belong to one another or to each other. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. So um, we're going to look at this uh, one another. We belong to one another. One of the important things that we can understand as a group of people who are part of a church is that in ways that we don't even understand many, in many times, we belong to each other. There are things that we share in common there are things that we're called to do and to be. There are gifts that God has given to us that we need to give to one another because we belong to each other. We are part of a family. And so let's look 
in the Word of God on this. But before we do, let me just give you a little bit of background so that you can understand where our little passage today, Romans 12, 1 to 8, fits in this incredible letter written by Paul. It's really a treatise in Romans. He begins by, as all letters did in the ancient world, with a salutation. This is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. Paul says, I'm writing to the Roman Christians. And then he says, in the latter part of his salutation, his opening, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed. That's the theme of his whole letter. The centerpiece of Christianity is this, that our righteousness comes from God, not from us. Now that is remarkably different than religion. Religion teaches that you have got to follow the rules. You have got to do the rituals. When I was in Israel and Jordan over this past month, uh, it was uh, Ramadan. And our guides in Jordan and our bus drivers and some of the people we dealt with in the West Bank, they were not able to eat or drink during the entire day from sunup to sundown because of Ramadan. They fast during that month. Religions have all kinds of rules and, 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 and rights and, and rigors that you're supposed to go through as a person to, to make yourself right before God. But Christianity turns that on its head and says, no, there's no amount of rules or rituals or rights or rigors that you have to go through to make yourself righteous in God's sight because righteousness doesn't come from us to God. It comes from God to us. That's how it is. It's different. So he said this letter is going to be about the righteousness that comes from God. Now, if you want to believe that a righteousness comes from God, the first thing you must do is you must understand that you need it. And then he starts with sin. It's the most profound explanation in the whole Bible of what sin is. And he's going to take into account every kind of person that's ever lived. He's going to talk about the religious person and says, this is where you fall short. He's going to talk about the person who's into pagan religions. He's going to say, this is where you fall short. He's going to take to task the moralist who does everything they can to live a good life. He says, this is where you are a hypocrite. And he's going to put us all on the same level until he says, there is no one who's righteous. No, not so much as even one. Now, you don't get a righteousness from God until you realize you don't have righteousness to give God. That's where it starts. And then in the next section on salvation, he says, this is what a righteousness from God looks like. It comes from what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross, what we just celebrated. Our righteousness comes from God. It's provided by God. Jesus gave it to us. And grace means God's favor given to us that we don't deserve. Now, the problem with that is, it's very easy to take this righteousness because we didn't earn it, we didn't merit it, and say, hey, great, I'm going to do whatever I want. No, no, no. Grace does things to you. It changes you. And now, how does this righteousness, which we receive as a gift, how does that play out as you live your life? That's sanctification. Then, of course, the, the question could be rightly asked, as it was asked, what... Um, how does this work? How would you defend this righteousness? And that's when he talks about how the sovereign God has played, has played out his righteousness throughout all of human history, and he's continuing to do so. And then in chapter 12, where we turn today, he's now going to turn and say, these are the implications 
of you who have received righteousness from God, not you did not earn it, what are the implications of that in the life you live? And basically, we belong to each other. Let's look. The first one we're going to deal with is the motto of our nation, in God we trust. Um, what we're going to look at now is, is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now, those four little um, phrases there or words are rather important. The first word is therefore. What Paul has been doing in the previous 11 chapters is been telling us about what, it, what this righteousness from God looks like. So now he's going to base his appeal on how we should live based on what God has done for us. You see, as Christians, we don't derive the way we live from our own goodness. We derive it from God's grace. Very different. The motive is different. He says, therefore, based on what God has done, I urge you. Now, Paul is a, a kind man. He doesn't say, I demand. You better do this or you're in trouble. No, fi no fists. No finger shaking. He says, I urge you. He makes a plea. And who is he talking to? Brothers and sisters. We're part of a family. I urge you, family members, in view of God's, the word is mercies. It's plural in Greek. In view of God's mercies. We are the recipient of God's manifold mercies. You see, God always tells us why before he tells us what to do. He's now going to tell us what to do, but he says, this is why. This, because of God's, God's incredible grace that he's poured out on you. Because God has given his righteousness to you. Because you don't have to do this if you don't want. It's because I'm urging you. It's because we're family members. It's because God has been merciful to you. Offer. Now the word offer there is in a Greek tense, which means you do it once. You make a decision. I made a decision 39 years ago when I stood in front of a pastor in a church down in Houston, Texas, and I said, I promise to be faithful to my wife and to love her, to cherish her. I, I made, a, I made a, 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 I offered, I presented myself. And then I cut off my circulation with this little piece of metal. <laughs> um, th that's what we do. And God says, you do that too. I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now you see, in the ancient world, they knew a lot about sacrifices. In fact, people all over the world know a lot about sacrifices. Some of us who you, were with us in Jordan, we went to Petra. And on the top of the mountain in Petra is the largest known sacrificial area in the world today. That's where they sacrificed animals and they had cut trenches where all the blood flowed down. It was a horrible thing. Can you imagine taking one of your pets and watching as its throat is slit and it's, it's making all kinds of terrible sounds? Thankfully, we don't have to do that. That make me sick. But... People throughout all of history have had a sense that the gods are angry. And because the gods are angry, they're angry because we have not followed the gods and we must offer sacrifices. But God says, no, 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 we don't want dead sacrifices. They don't do anything. 
Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual. Actually, the word there for spiritual means um, more than that. It doesn't mean just spiritual. It means um, logical, informed, understanding. This is your thoughtful act of worship. So the first thing God says is, if you are going to understand what it means to live out the righteousness of God, you're the sacrifice now. And you live your life in such a way that is thoughtful, you use your mind, and you recognize that all of your life is an act of worship to God. Now, um, Bible scholars throughout the last number of years, I don't know how many, have tried to figure out what is the most important verse in the whole Bible. Now, if you ask many Americans, especially those who watch football games, they might say John 3.16, because you see that from time to time. And that's a very important verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Very important. But those who maybe are a little more astute would say, well, that is not really the central verse in the Bible. They would say that the central verse of the Bible is in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And others would say that the central verse in the Bible is in Habakkuk, the prophet. And he goes, the just shall live by faith. Now these are three of the most common suggestions as to the most important verse in the entire Bible, but they all three have one thing in common. Did you catch what it was? Believe, believe, faith. The access point for us is faith, belief, or trust. In God, we trust. Now, I wish that was true of us as a, as a nation. I don't think it is, but I wish it was. You see, we belong to each other because we have placed our trust in God's grace, and we have chosen to intelligently lead lives of gratitude and service. That is our worship. That's who we are. Let me say it again. We belong to each other. We're part of a family because we have placed our trust in God's grace. And we choose, we don't have to, we choose to lead lives, intelligent lives, of gratitude and service, which is our worship. That's who we are. Someone said this, for Christians, theology is grace and ethics is gratitude. And interestingly in Greek, they're the same word. Grace and gratitude. We're people who have been given to God a gift we don't deserve. And when you receive something you know you don't deserve, how do you respond? You can't pay it back. You just simply say thank you. That's who we are. Now, if you asked most Christians, um, uh, what is worship? 
I suspect that most people would say, oh, that's what we do when we sing songs before we listen to a sermon. Well, okay, that is worship, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says worship is our whole lives. Worship is what we do all the time. We show the worth of God by the way we live our lives, by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. When we sing, what we do, we offer our voices, connected with our minds and our hearts to the God that we love. That's worship. When we listen to a sermon, listening doesn't provide do anything for you. But when you listen to God's word and then apply it in your life and do what it says, ah, you worship. That's worship, showing the worth of God. We are people who have placed our trust in God, His grace, and we lead lives of worship. That's who we are. That's in God we trust. Now the next one is a new order of the ages, novus ordo seclorum. That's what it says on the bottom. And since the core of our lives as Christians is different, the core of our lives is that we are the recipients of the grace and mercy of God. That's at the core of our lives. We should expect that that would make us different in the world in which we live. Because that's not a normal way of looking at life. And that's what God's going to say next. Because of who you are, in whom you've placed your trust, you are part of a new order. And this is what it looks like. Do not conform any longer. Conform is the word uh, scheme. Do not be squeezed into the mold. Do not become rubber stamped. Do not let the world force you into its scheme of thinking. Did you see what this passage says? Do not conform any longer. Do you know what that means? That means that the Apostle Paul knew, and everyone who's got half a brain knows, that the truth about every one of us here is, we are all conforming to the pattern of this world right now. All of us. A lot. We are all conforming all the time to the pattern of this world. A lot. All of us. Why? Because that's normal. This, here's, the standard procedure is for us as human beings to conform. We do so quite unconsciously, and this is in the present tense, which means we're always doing it. The norm for all of us as Christians is we are conforming to the pattern of this world. We are being rubber-stamped. We are being squeezed into the mold. We are being forced into a scheme of thinking that does not come from God. Whether you know it or not, we all are being conformed. And God says, Don't, don't get rubber stamped. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, what is the world? 
The gospel, uh, the writer John, the apostle John, Jesus' best friend, he wrote about it. He defines the world for us in one of his epistles. He says, this is the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He says, this is what the world is about. Hedonism. The basic thrust of a person's life is their own personal pleasures. Materialism. The goal of a person's life is to accumulate stuff. Egotism. The goal of a person's life is to protect their ego at all costs. That's the world. And advertising, television, magazines, everything in our society to some degree is pushing us in that direction, squeezing us into the mold. You deserve this. You need this. You got to have this. This is who you are. Don't let the world rubber stamp you. How do you stop it? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It starts in the brain. The first thing you got to do if you don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world, if you want to be a, a new order that, that God initiated through Jesus, the first thing you got to do is you got to think, which we don't, we're not real good at sometimes. You got to use your mind. And the first thing you want to use your mind to is to realize how much you are conforming, how much I am conforming. And then you see that and you say, wait, that's not who I am. I'm made for much more than this. I don't want to throw my life away by being conformed to the pattern of this world, living my life basically for myself. No, I'm worth more than that. I'm worth way more than that. I'm, I've been... I've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ that I didn't deserve. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and, and perfect and pleasing will. And by the way, the words here are all process words. It doesn't happen overnight. The renewing is something you have to do all the time. Now, the world in which we live is, 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 is rubber stamping us. Here are some ways. You see, our world says, assert yourself. God's word says, walk in the spirit. Our world says, believe in yourself. Trust your heart. But God's word says, no, trust me. Trust my word. Our, our, our world says, you know, protect your ego. God says, no, be people of humility. Freedom, our world says, but God says, no, submission. Happiness, seek your happiness. God says, no, seek my righteousness. Wholeness, God wants wholeness, not just happiness. And if you're whole, you'll be happy. Hedonism, live for pleasure. And, but, uh, but the word of God says, no, Enjoy God. Live for yourself. Individualism. That they say, sociologists, that's the dominant value in America is radical ontological individualism. But God's word says, no, we're interdependent. We're part of a community. Materialism. Consume. You're a consumer. God says, no, we're stewards. My rights. No. God's mercies. Fulfill yourself. No. Give yourself. Live for today. 
grab for all the gusto you can get because that's all you've got. And God, the Bible says, no, we've got eternity. We live for both. We belong to each other as a tribe of thoughtful, countercultural Christ followers. That's who we are. That's pretty important to remember. We're different. But this is the new order. We're bought by grace and we pursue goodness, which means we follow Jesus. He's our leader. This is unfortunately one of the great things that are happening, bad things actually that are happening in our society today is the church is pursuing being culturally relevant rather than being culturally countercultural. But when we do that, we lose everything. This is a, a, a British sociologist, PhD, he said this about the church. By our uncritical pursuit of relevance, we have actually courted irrelevance. By our breathless chase after relevance, without a matching commitment to faithfulness, we have become not only unfaithful, but irrelevant. By our determined efforts to redefine ourselves in ways that are more compelling to the modern world than our faithful to Christ, we have lost not only our identity, but our authority and our relevance. Our crying need is to be faithful as well as relevant. And this comment, to be always relevant, you need to say things that are eternal because then you're never out of date. Well, we must move on quickly. You know this one, e pluribus unum. This goes back to the very beginning of our nation's founding. Out of many, one. And this is what the Apostle Paul is going to write. For by the grace given to me to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. It seems to me that this is the best verse in all the Bible on what humility really means. Humility does not mean putting yourself down. It is not that. It does not mean groveling. That is the opposite of humility. Humility simply means you're honest with yourself. You realize who you are and what you are, and you know what you're not. You, don't rec you recognize that many of the, the benefits you have have been given to you. You did not earn them, but if you've worked hard and done something that's legitimate and objective, you can acknowledge that. You don't put yourself down. You just know the truth about yourself. But if we're going to be people who understand that we belong to each other, this is one of the most important qualities we can ever have. It's one of the highest virtues in the Bible. It's humility. He says, this is how we're... Just as each one of us has one body with many members, one body, but I've got arms, legs, etc., and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's who we are. Now since, can you imagine what a human body would be without humility? Let's try it out. My legs are irrelevant. I don't need legs because my arms are strong. I've been lifting my biceps. I've been working on my biceps. Soon you can't stand anymore. What good are your biceps if you can't stand? Or if you belittle any part of your body, or if one part says, I'm more important than the rest of my body, the rest suffers. No, you can't do that. Though we are many, and we are different, we are one. That's the genius of our nation. As you know, what we're going through today as a nation, it's, it's grievous. 
Because in truth, we're all, we're a nation of immigrants. All. My family, I'm only a third generation in this country, having come from Norway. Out of many, different. We're one nation. And as Christians, we're different in many, many ways, but one. Well, the question, of course, is, do I belong? And if, in fact, you've been, you've, you've been, you're a recipient of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a recipient of God's grace and mercy, you do belong. And if you do, God favors our undertakings. Because now he's going to end this portion by saying we have certain gifts. And the word gift in the Bible means God's favor. Here's what it says. We have different gifts according to the grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of the saints, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. He's just saying that if God, is, God has given us gifts, and these gifts are all different, these gifts are gifts of God's favor, which he's given to us so that we can help one another. And if he's given you a gift... Use it, but beware, every gift has a downside to it. You can be a person who shows mercy, and after a while, a merciful person realize that you're getting used, and you get jaded, and you don't want to do it anymore. Be careful. Or a person that gives, but, but gives generously and generously, after a while you say, what? I'm tired of giving. Because it's, no, God loves a cheerful giver. Give generously. As if you don't have your left hand and your right hand don't know what you're doing. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is true worship. Do not be shaped by this world. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And your talent is God's gift to you. What will you do with it? Is your gift back to God and to one another? We're about to era, enter a new era as First Baptist Church with a new senior shepherd. And one of the most important things we can learn as we prepare our hearts for the coming of this new man is that we belong to each other. We're part of a body. And your presence, your involvement is extremely important, as is your giftedness as is your humble heart, as is your recognition of the receiving the righteousness of God. Those are all necessary. And may the virtues that, that are part of realizing that we belong to each other be ours as we look forward to this new phase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the incredible truth of your word the beauty of being the recipients of your righteousness and belonging to one another may the sense that we belong to each other grip us deeply profoundly in such a way that this church walks together into the future you have for us for your glory and for great good 
pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me as you're dismissed this day. May God's grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit and His empowerment be with you as you leave this day recognizing that we belong to each other. God bless you.